0: It was Friday, about 2 p.m. The sermon was done. And my, oh my, was it a heavy one. Theologically and exegetically sound, that I hope goes without saying, but a bit heavy. Ever so much heavier than any six pages ought a weigh. Blame it on those lectionary readings, I thought. Blame it on the season. Fair enough, I said. It's the weirdest thing, but I often have these conversations with myself on Friday afternoons when the sermon is done. And what's so strange about that is I never used to do that before I came to East Chestnut Street. I, I'm sure it's a coincidence. Um, anyways, fair enough, I said. After all, like its cousin, Lent, Advent is a time for waiting and for weighing. In Lent, we weigh the state of our individual lives and necessarily seek forgiveness and salvation In Advent, we weigh the state of the world and necessarily seek forgiveness and salvation. It's a good spiritual exercise, this waiting and weighing. It helps us see just how badly we do need a Savior. I mean, if all is calm and all is bright, who needs redemption? If all is well and the world is perfect, who needs a Messiah? And so in this season of Advent, we take a good hard look around. We read the signs of the times. And we look up in desperate longing for the coming of the light. It makes good sense then, I think, that Advent sermons would be on the heavy side. What with the sky falling in the readings from Advent 1 to the double penalties in the readings from Advent 2, the load is pretty heavy. Nevertheless, there I was on Friday afternoon, the sermon done murmuring to myself about what to do. The sermon felt too heavy like something used to hold a ship in place, if you catch my meaning. Then again, there's little wonder why it weighed so much. The world is an awfully messy place, too often a terrible place, a place ruled by greed and managed by fear and devastated by both, a place where war seems to have become the normal state of affairs, where poverty is commonplace and where natural disasters are so common that they're now relegated to the third page. I recently took a tour of the Lancaster County Council of Churches. And while I was there, I found out about a program called Power Packs. It's a a program that provides um, backpacks full of food for kids to take home with them from school on Friday afternoons. Uh, And this is what my guide told me. She said that, that many kids in our community depend upon the meals that they eat at school. School breakfasts and lunches are their only meals during the week. And so teachers in local elementary schools Keep an eye out for students coming to school on Monday morning, suffering from, and these are her words, suffering from starvation or malnutrition. Starvation, malnutrition. I mean, this is not Charles Dickens' London. This is our community. You can see, then, how facts like these shape a sermon, particularly... A sermon being written during a season which calls for a serious look around at the state of things. Facts like these, well, they better make a sermon heavy. Anyways, I can't turn my back on such things and I don't think I should. And this year, um, if anything, it's not only my faith or the season which prevents me from looking away. It's plain old reality. I'm sure that's a metaphor for something, but I don't know what. (laughs) Uh, Wars, a tumbling economy, friends and neighbors either losing or about to lose their jobs and their benefits and their immediate prospects for both. Now, I learned denial from an old hand, a veritable maestro of the fine art of looking the other way. But even someone with my degree of professional training finds it impossible to do anything but admit that the world, our world, is in a bad way. And yet after printing the sermon, I I felt this awful sense of weariness. Uh, Yet another heavy Advent sermon. Do I really have to? Well, I left the sermon in the printer. I stuck a couple of books under to keep the sermon from toppling the whole thing off my desk and came over here, um, went to the mailbox room. I glanced at the tree, uh, all covered with stars. And then barely out of the corner of my eye, I noticed the Advent wreath. Two purple candles shrunken from the burning of previous weeks. One tall purple one, still confident, waiting its turn. And the pink one. The pink one. The symbol of joy with a capital J. And suddenly I I knew I couldn't bring myself to, to preach that heavy Advent sermon. Not today anyways. Instead, I'd aim for that good old pink candle. Now all bedecked for a party with that flaming cap on its head, I'd aim for joy. Now, why this disruption of what is intended to be a contemplative, world-weighing season of waiting? Why this reprieve from the purple, which, though intended to represent royalty, also speaks of sorrow and pain, the color of a bruise? Why this sudden shift to pink? I mean, pink. The color of love, of, of a blush, of a tongue and gums exposed by a hearty laugh, the color of whatever it is that comes before passion, like a carnation precedes a rose, the color of joy with a capital J. Well, the reason for the break is pretty apparent. Yes, the sky is falling. And yes, we do need to keep our eyes peeled and our T's crossed because something big is coming. And yes, we do sit here surrounded by the rubble of our best laid intentions in the midst of what's left of the Garden of Eden, the remains of our feeble attempts to build God a city. Yes, there is much sadness, much sorrow, much heartache and much to answer for. And yes, we are still waiting all these centuries later for the coming of the one promised to us long before we were ever even born. Waiting, wearily waiting for the coming of the last best hope of the world standing on tiptoes for 2,000 years. No wonder our heads begin to droop, our eyes to close, our hearts to slow their beating until we could almost pass for dead. Things look so bad that, well, we sometimes wish we were back in Babylon. Captives, yes, but captives with a roof over our heads and the most powerful army in the world protecting us from all harm. We weren't powerful ourselves, but we were surrounded by power. And truth be told, it felt pretty good, pretty secure. Secure enough to make us second-guess God's invitation to return to the land, to come back home. And now, now, when we look around us, we, we really do wish we'd second-guessed our full heads off here in this in-between land, somewhere west of the promise, east of its fulfillment, the land of Nod, maybe, which explains our tendency to doze off. So, so imagine our surprise when... Partway through our annual trek to Bethlehem, our hearts heavy, our bottoms sore from that bony old donkey. Here, even though only partway there, someone sticks a pink candle in our faithful Advent wreath and says, Smile, why don't you? Be joyful with a capital J. Not a small J joy, that too often faked up steroidal pretending we do in order to act as though there is peace, peace, when... Everybody knows there's no peace at all. That Hollywood smile, greeting card, induced sparkly thing that we human beings do so well, what with our stiff upper lips and never mind the torpedoes, full speed ahead. That small J joy that's on sale at the mall or advertised in the radio, proclaimed in every Christmas special. No, no. This pink candle that comes from out of nowhere to disrupt our advent waiting is all about capital J joy. Joy that's big enough to look right into the very worst part of the world and then make it whole. Joy that's great enough to stare our human sin square in the face and then forgive it all. Joy that's able to proclaim release to the captives and to set every prisoner free from every kind of prison and to restore sight to every suffering, everyone suffering from every kind of blindness. Lame folks leaping kind of joy. A thousand tongues singing sized joy. A joy that sets the world to rights. That heals and reveals the very face of God. And look. It's the face of a God who laughs, but not in scorn, who laughs with the sheer pleasure of fixing what has too long been broken, healing what has too long been sick, restoring what has too long been falling apart. Joy like that proclaimed to the prophet, to those weary of building the new Jerusalem. Joy like that proclaimed by John. Joy like a light that shines in the darkness, whether the darkness recognizes it or not the sound of laughter in a place of death, but a laughter which invites us to join in fully and so find ourselves healed, fixed, restored, joy that is that much closer this week than it was the week before. Here on this third Sunday of Advent, we don't take a break from our waiting. We don't suddenly turn away from the truth that's all around us. We don't suddenly pretend that life really does resemble a painting by Courier and Ives, all snow covered and lovely with the sleigh on its way to Grandma's house over the river and, well, you know the rest. We don't get over ourselves or the world or its problems or the suffering of those near and far. To pretend like that would be like pretending we are all okay and don't really need any saving. Thank you for your time, but we'll be okay. We really will be like stepping back into that darkness, which cannot perceive the light, which cannot understand it because it considers itself to be all that really matters. And if it ain't fixed, broken, why fix it? Our little pink candle does not call us away from our world and its needs and its troubles and and its occasional goodness. Instead, it calls us to look at the world even more deeply and to look at ourselves even more deeply to look at the needs around us more deeply. And in that moment of deepest contemplation of our need, hear the voice of God saying, I am coming. Healing is on its way. Justice is on its way. Love is on its way. Everything I have ever promised you is that much closer than it was the day before. Capital J, joy is coming. Lift up your heads and see death. And crying and mourning and pain shall be no more. Be joyful, therefore, for you are not alone, and someday, someday soon, all will be well. That little pink candle that's burning so fast and growing smaller by the minute is an invitation to us all, an invitation to make room within our waiting for hope, for love for peace, for justice, for joy. To consider all that this world needs against the backdrop of that outsized joy, that joy that's too big for words, that joy that is fast on its way, though it may not always seem so to us. An invitation to make room for that joy even here, even now. And so find strength to continue the long wait for the coming of the light, to make room for that joy. And so find the grace we need to keep on doing the work of rebuilding the city of God, a work we know we cannot complete in our own, but work we do anyway, trusting, trusting that the one who set us to it will see that it is one day finished and finished well. Now, that old heavy sermon was not a wasted effort. It certainly has its place, and trust me, you're going to hear it sometime before my time here is done. Uh, no good deed goes unpunished or something like that. Um, I do believe, I I, I do believe we have an obligation to keep our windows and our hearts open and to refrain from telling lies to ourselves and our children about the sorry state of the world. Just as we want them to know what is good and what is honest and what is true, we also need to let them know that just because we are healthy, wealthy and wise does not mean our work is done and we can all go to bed with visions of sugar plums dancing in our heads. Truth-telling is a primary obligation of the followers of Jesus. Truth-telling is a primary obligation for us followers of Jesus, and sometimes, maybe too many times, that truth can be pretty sad. So that big old heavy sermon is uh, carefully filed away in a reinforced filing cabinet in the church office, and someday I'll call AAA to come haul it over here and, and preach it. But for today, for today... On this third Sunday of Advent in the year of our Lord, 2008, I'm glad I paid attention, whether it was attention to my own spirit that was all weighed down with the prospect of preaching that heavy sermon or attention to the Holy Spirit's voice calling me to see that silly pink candle. And so a capital J joy, whatever it was that led me to replace one sermon with another, I am glad because to tell the truth one of the things which makes our world too often what it is is an absence of that capital J joy and i almost missed it myself and so so dear hearts one and all the voice of the prophet still speaks to us and those words are echoed by good old baptizing john what we have longed for with all our might is coming that much closer its light its peace is justice. It is capital J joy. It is the restoring face of God. Rejoice, therefore, and be glad. Hallelujah. Amen.